Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Hayley Heckman. Hayley is the Executive Director of Causeway, a non-profit organisation which helps people with mental illness and other challenges to find meaningful and rewarding work and to live more independently. Hayley joins us today to discuss mental health in the workplace and how workplaces can be more supportive of their employees' recovery. Hello Hayley. Hi. How are you doing? Good. I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Good. What time is it where you are? Is it morning? It's 11 a.m. 11. Okay. I The last few podcasts I've recorded, people have been in different time zones to me and it feels like I'm always ahead. And the other day I like came onto the podcast, I was like halfway through the day feeling great. I asked them what time it was and it was like 6, 6, 6 7 a.m. I was like, why did you accept this time? That's crazy. Because <laughs> uh, it was like three for me. Um, but I'm glad that it's a more suitable hour for you. Kind of like you're in the future. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's really weird, especially like when you, my partner went to on holiday to Australia with his family and it was like the next day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ooh, that's so strange. It's amazing though, if you think about it. Yeah. That we're all experiencing the same day, but at different points. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. I think the weirdest is New Year's when people are like, mm-hmm it's a new year and you're like no it's not yet but for them it is like that's yeah that I have a friend who now lives in Australia and that always boggles me when she puts it on it's like happy new year and I'm like whoa you're already in the new year and we're not (laughs) one of my best friends I used to live in a different time zone and she was three hours ahead and so I would call her at midnight their time and wish her happy new years from the past and she would wish me happy new year from the future (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Oh, how good. Every year for multiple years. Good. I like that tradition. That's a good one. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat to you because I think mental health in the workplace is such an important topic um, and maybe not one that is considered enough. And it's definitely not something we've really spoken about on the podcast. Um, So, I guess to get us started, do you want to tell us what Causeway is? Yeah, so Causeway is a nonprofit organization. We support people who've experienced mental health related barriers to employment find meaningful work. So we have a an ecosystem of programs and services that are customized to the needs and journey of the people that we're supporting. So we offer in-community employment support, we have self-employment support, skills development, placements, and then wraparound services that connect people with community referrals, outreach. Um, We also have a wellness center and a resource center. And so our approach is really supporting each person to identify their strengths while also supporting employers to create inclusive, accessible, and positive work environments. Um, And we often act as a liaison between job seekers and employers, helping them navigate the support conditions that they need at work. And so um, I did not found the organization. We've been around for over 40 years uh, here in in Ottawa in Canada, but joined two years ago and have really appreciated the opportunity to support this fantastic work that we're doing. 
Yeah, it sounds awesome. I think it's so needed because often, you know, mental health can really take over your life, mental health illness especially. And I think it's, it can be really difficult to feel heard, especially in the workplace or, you know, be able to reach out for support. So the fact that you guys are there to help people to find jobs and stuff is, is amazing. Um, so what, what kind of made you want to work in that sort of environment, helping people with their mental health and finding jobs? Yeah, so I would say I have always had a, a keen interest in people and for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to work in a, in a people-centered environment, supporting people to see their potential. And so I started off doing a degree in psychology. Um, from there, you know, I was involved in working with crisis lines and had an opportunity to work with people one-on-one, -on -one, really hearing a vast variety of experiences that they were having and just you know, that, that opportunity really allowed me to see that by having support systems in place, even if it's someone that you've never met before, it can make such a huge difference to have a confidential and anonymous space to get support, to work through what it is that you're trying to work through without judgment, without, but with also without advice, just a, a sharing um, place to really land and, and explore your own experiences and your own ideas. And you know, I had an opportunity with one of the crisis lines that I was working with really early on to, to run the organization. It was a really small volunteer organization. And so different, uh, different opportunities came up to do training and to do policy development. And eventually a, a chance came forward for me to actually run uh, the organization's back end and the work that we were doing in community. And at that point, I really fell in love with being able to support an organization to grow and evolve and the, the value of building a team that felt supported and encouraged and engaged and how the, what kind of ripple effect that could have in community if the people who are supporting the people are having a great experience at work. And so, yeah, that really drove me into the work that I'm doing now. I've had many different experiences along the way. I've worked in disability support and youth support and sexual health, but at the end of the day, I always come back to mental health because I think it's so foundational to our experience as humans that, you know, we all go through different things. We all have a range of emotions. We all have, you know, different experiences that shape who we are and how we see the world. And so being able to work for an organization like Causeway that, you know, sees the potential in people and helps them to identify strengths that maybe they haven't seen in themselves before to be that mirror to, to showcase, you know, these are the things that are possible for you. And this is how we can connect you is, is something that I'm really inspired by every day. I think what you just said at the end there is, I think that's probably like the, one of the most important things I think you guys would provide to people is that sort of like possibility that it you know you can go and you can go to work and and there can be support in place because I think often you know with mental illness it can feel like well there's so much going on for me how how am I going to be able to sustain a job but actually with the right support in work it, it definitely is possible and I just wanted to pick up on what you said because I thought it was such an important point about supporting the supporters how do you make sure that your team are supported? Because obviously working with people with mental illness can be quite difficult. What do you have in place to support your team? Yeah, I would say there's a variety of supports. I think it starts with, you know, 
understanding what motivates people in their work. Like, why did they choose to come into this field? I think everyone who chooses to work in mental health or to work in a human centered space is going to be, you know, coming from a place of caring and wanting to make a difference and wanting to have an impact in the life of the people that they're working with. But with that also comes, you know, more of a susceptibility to burnout or to experiencing a lot of emotional overwhelm in the work that they do because they care so much. And so, you know, from my standpoint as a leader of the organization, I think it's so important to to model, you know, the kind of approach that you want to see your team take in terms of, you know, prioritizing my own self-care and being open and, and vulnerable about my own experiences when I might be struggling uh, with my own mental health. I think it means, you know, taking a deep dive into yourself and what, you know, brings you to life every day, like really being cognizant of when you have the energy to put towards something and maybe when you don't and, and showcasing the difference between those two things um, and being really honest about where your boundaries are. I think the more that you can model your expectations in other people, the, the easier it becomes for them to, to incorporate you know, those approaches into their work. And I think a lot of it is, you know, taking the time to see potential in people you know, that I'm working with of, you know, what is, what are their strengths? What are they really interested in? Where, where are their um, capacity limits and how can we identify those before they hit them so that we can redirect um, workload if, if we need to do that. I think it's also creating an environment that encourages, encourages people to continue to learn about themselves and encourages self-reflective practice. I think it's easy in this work to get really caught up and take things personally. If maybe something doesn't quite go the way that you expected or someone, you know, maybe doesn't get the job that they had, had been put up for and, and you're not sure why. I think it's taking the opportunity to ask yourself some questions around your own approach to your work um, and and how can you you know how can you show up as your best self and if you are not you know your best self today what what uh, strategies can you use either to help yourself get there or to um, delegate to to other people on the team that maybe are in a better headspace or have the opportunity to to support in a way that you can't right now so encouraging people to share their own self care strategies and what stress looks like to them. Um, is really important because, you know, when you're in a place where you're feeling um, kind of over your limit, it's a lot harder for you to identify the strategies that help you when you're in that mindset. Like you forget everything that you know about yourself <laughs> when you're in crisis because your brain doesn't have the ability to access like the the rational thinking side. It's only really accessing that that reactive. Um, reactive emotional side. And so if you have people on your team who know what stress looks like for you and know some of the strategies that can help you when you're experiencing that level of, of overwhelm or that level of stress in your work and can remind you like, Hey, you know, you told me that when you're feeling this way, that a walk around the block really helps you. Or, you know, I know that humor is something that really helps to uh, make you feel more calm. So um, do you mind if I tell you a joke? Like building that kind of normalized support on the team, I think is really helpful and creating spaces where people can just get to know each other as people, I think really helps to to create an environment where people feel valued and, and feel like they can be human at work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think like what you said that the idea of that team um, that can be really honest with each other. And, you know, I think 
as you said working in the sort of environment can be very difficult you know for the individual because you take on like you said most people that work in this industry are very caring and they naturally mm -hmm. take on and they want to support people but that can be tiring and and like you said if you come to a point where you're burning out yourself one you know maybe you know that's not great for you personally but also you're not going to be able to give what you need to give to the people that you're supporting um mm -hmm. so yeah the idea of team you know teams and coming together and being able to support each other um that sounds really important and i think maybe a lot of companies might lack that in terms of having that ability to be honest with your team and say right now things aren't super great and i'm just wondering if i could get some support um i think sometimes that's seen as not a great thing to do but actually we're we're all we all need that sometimes um mm. and the more that people can do that i think actually it would build quite a strong community and um workplace environment absolutely and i think you know how do you expect people to feel safe coming to you when they're feeling overwhelmed if they've never seen you in that place. And that's not to say as a leader that you should be, you know, breaking down and, and crying on the shoulder of your team. Like that's not, like that's not necessarily the right solution either, but it's really about being honest and saying, you know, this is where my limit is. This is where I might need support. This is even being honest when you make a mistake and saying like, Hey, I, I tried this. It didn't work. What can we do differently next time? And that openness and accountability, I think, is so important in creating a space where other people feel like they can also make mistakes, try again, you know, do something that they've never done before and have the the soft landing pad if it doesn't work out quite the way that they anticipated. So the more you can model that for other people, the more other people feel comfortable being that way. And in their in their work as well well we're all human aren't we and mm -hmm. i always hate this idea that like certain people don't make mistakes and stuff like that i think as soon as you see like somebody that is maybe superior to you maybe like a manager or something like that make a mistake you're like oh my gosh you're human too like you have a life too and and you need mm -hmm. balance as well um which is always i think really cool um so i wanted to ask um you mentioned about your kind of personal experience um, of this. And I know um, that you, when we spoke um, kind of on emails and stuff, you were very keen on talking about the strengths-based approach. So kind of taking what we learn and taking that with us through our own lived experience. So I wondered if you'd mind sharing what your personal experience related to this was and then how that's helped you going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, there's, there's many different components of, of my own lived experience, but I'd say, you know, specifically as it relates to, to working through recovery and through an eating disorder, you know, as a, as a young child, you know, I was always in a larger body than my peers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, early on, I had a tough time navigating my feelings and environmental factors at home. So I would use food to help soothe my emotions and give a sense of comfort and control. And, that lasted, I'd say, you know, into my early twenties. And at that time I was really starting to experience a lot of challenges around my mental health and also my physical health and had really, you know, never had a way of understanding my body's needs when it came to food. So I often ignored my hunger cues. I had very, you know, um, frightened relationship with movement. Like I was the person that constantly <laughs> would call in sick if I you know, had to go to a gym class or, or participate in any kind of physical activity. And so 
originally, you know, I had decided for my health that I wanted to make some adjustments to my nutrition and to my exercise. And it started off from a really good place, you know, a place of wanting to do things differently for my quality of life and for, you know, making small manageable changes like daily walks and incorporating more vegetables. But over time, you know, my body started to change and I started to get a lot of attention for that. And that kind of positive reinforcement and a desire to see more results and a fear that my body would go back to the way that it used to be you know, triggered a lot of um, disordered eating behaviors. You know, I started to weigh myself constantly and started to fixate on the types of food that I was eating and was starting to exercise a lot more. And, you know, that really progressed over a series of years, you know, starting with tracking food and, you know, persistent anxiety about eating the wrong things or exercising multiple times a day and avoiding fun activities with the people that I loved out of worry of, you know, what would be at the restaurant or the, that the event that I was going to would have the wrong food. And so, you know, it took years for me to realize that this type of behavior was, you know, not, not healthy. And that was really damaging. And, you know, when I was going through all of this, you know, I was often being congratulated. And I think that was really confusing for me that, you know, I was seen as a success, um, by the people in my life, you know, including at work. Um, I was someone who, because I was someone who had gone from being in a larger body to a smaller body and, you know, I had moved towards the beauty standard and even in my most, you know, anxious and fixated place, people constantly wanted to know, you know, what was my secret or how could I be so disciplined? And once I started to realize, you know, the, the dangers of where I was mentally, it wasn't until then that I was able to actually start addressing it and was able to begin working through the why behind how I got to where I am. And, you know, I sought out support. I began reading a lot of books around, you know, um, diet culture and disordered eating and listening to podcasts and started to transition away from those behaviors like tracking and weighing and food rules. Um, but, you know, for me, it was a really long journey, but the thing that I always stick to in, that always sticks out in my mind when it comes to work is the fact that workplaces have a lot of, you know, really reinforced diet culture um, messaging and having been someone who went from a larger body to a smaller body, there was never any thought that I might be going through, mm. you know, disordered eating because, I was succeeding in the mind of the people that I was presenting in front of. And therefore it was never seen as a problem in, until I started to see it for myself and my partner started to see it. And the people closest to me started to see how much anxiety and how much, mm-hmm. you know, overwhelm it was causing, but everyone else was constantly reinforcing that it was good. And so um, to your question about the the strength-based approach, I think, having gone through that myself and working now in, in mental health, you know, it gives me a level of understanding that nothing is ever what you see on the surface and that we need to be really cognizant about how we make assumptions about other people and not make assumptions about other people and the importance of diving deeper into 
you know, asking real questions, you know, rather than, you know, if someone's going through something in their life that seems positive on the outside, asking them, you know, how are you feeling about it? Like what, what's been happening for you? Have there been any challenges that you didn't anticipate? Like how, creating open spaces for people to talk about the the struggles that they might be experiencing and something that outwardly looks good to the rest of the world, I think is really important. And for me, you know, a lot of what I've learned and take with me into my work is a sense of compassion for, for other people of, you never know what someone's going through. So rather than walking into a conversation, pre-assuming what the outcome should be, really listening to people and being intentional and being self-reflective of how I contribute to my interactions with other people, because so much of what I was feeling at that time was not necessarily the, the, the responsibility of the people who were around me, but their comments and the things that they were saying definitely contributed to how I felt about myself. So that's something I try to be really mindful of in my work of, how am I communicating with other people? What am I saying? How am I saying it? Mm. And what does that mean for how they're interpreting our, our interaction with each other? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. I think it's really interesting what you were saying about, you know, being a success, because I think often if you go from being in a larger body to being in a smaller body, but not a small, not a small body that is kind of, too small which is all there's all, all such arbitrary measures um then you are seen as a success and it is congratulated and i think that makes reaching out for support hard because everyone around you is say, saying oh my god you're doing amazing like how mm -hmm. did you do it i want tips and stuff um and i know i've had that myself and it's such a difficult thing because you just want to scream in their face like you don't want this this is mm -hmm. this is horrible everything is being affected and everything is kind of being restricted um but people kind of because they're so warped in this idea that you know smaller is better it's really difficult to to say that to them um mm -hmm. i found recently something similar in that like my work is remote and I want to have a in-person job and it you know it's affecting my mental health working remotely and people keep saying to me oh you're so lucky that you get to work from home all the time I'm like mm, okay <laughs> thank you for mm -hmm. that comment not helpful we all have our preferences and actually I think too much of anything um can can be you know the person that works in the office every day of the week wants to have a day at home but equally the person that works from home every day of the week wants to have a day in the office so um kind of not just assuming that because what you're doing is um you know you're not full-on enjoying it i think mm -hmm. um a balance is what's needed and then that's the same with the comments about weight um and like you said kind of thinking about you know what's going on for that person beneath just the fact that they've lost weight um mm -hmm. and i think as well like something i've always thought so i only graduated three years ago and, and the jobs that i've had since then have been um remote and you know something i've always thought about is i've not been in a workplace um so my experience is just based on kind of what i've heard from friends and stuff but workplaces seem like a really weird environment in that there's a lot of talk about kind of 
diets, diet culture, weight, that sort of thing. Um, but equally, there's a lot of kind of food brought in to share and, um, you know, especially birthdays and celebrations. And it's almost like you have people constantly talking about the diet they're on. But equally, if you don't eat the food that's brought in, you know, the cake, the chocolate, whatever, then you're all, you know, you're not talking about the diet. So you're not really in with that crowd, but then you're not eating the food. So you're like, they're then sort of, I've heard people say that there've been comments of, oh, well, you know, you're, is, that must be why you're skinny. I wish I was like you because you don't eat the cake. So you're almost then made as an outcast as well because of that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I think there's so many, it, it's like you said, there's so many things that feed into diet culture mm-hmm. that's just embedded in workplaces. I think about, you know, how many workplaces I've been in have had, you know, even weight loss competitions, you know, and <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, it were health, you know, health centered competitions, encouraging, like I said, team building of you know, how can we all, you know, get healthy as this kind of team building activity in workplaces, you know, exercise challenges, um, like you said, comments around diets and bodies and even, you know, compliments, especially, you know, I find having worked my whole career in the social service sector, which is a very like female dominated space, like a lot of people working in this space are women. And so women will often compliment other women on how they look and on their body and ask questions. Like you said, how did you do it? And so, and then as you said, equally, there's is a lot of food, there's events, there's birthdays, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to feel uncomfortable in, in that environment from both angles. And so I think, you know, workplaces really need to work on how, how they approach, you know, all of these aspects of diet culture, even just, you know, a don't have <laughs> competitions around health and and uh, weight loss in a workplace. It's not necessary in in any which way. But also, you know, encouraging people not to comment on the way other people look or about their bodies or not share information on their diets and instead, you know, compliment people on their efforts, you know, and the work that they're doing and the person that they are in the context of a workplace. I think shifting that those cultural conversations and making it less normalized to fixate on on people's body and what they're eating at work i think is so key in in terms of the ripple effect that that has outside of work because people are already inundated in their job and then they go home and they're inundated in other aspects of their life as well so how can we reduce that and encourage workplaces not to focus on on those very unhelpful um aspects of our culture yeah definitely i think how would you suggest somebody to navigate a situation like that you know if there are comments around diet culture and stuff like that because i'm personally of the opinion which you may be different but i think part of the recovery is learning to navigate those situations where someone stops talking about their diet or something because i think we can create an environment at home where you know diets aren't discussed and food and body weight isn't discussed but ultimately you know you might be in a coffee shop and someone might be like oh, i'm not going to have x because i'm on this diet um and i think it is kind of 
our responsibility as part of recovery to navigate those situations. So specifically in the workplace, you know, if someone starts commenting on maybe what you're eating or what you're not eating, how how would you approach that situation? Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think it's important to develop strategies to respond in situations like that because you can't control every environment and you mm-hmm. and you certainly can't control other people and how, how they approach um, their own life or their commentary towards you. I think, I think as we were talking about earlier, being able to set some healthy boundaries and, you know, if someone asks you, I don't know why you're not eating the piece of cake to say, you know, I, I really don't want any, thank you for the offer though. I really appreciate you, you bringing this, um, bringing this to me, but I'm, I'm not interested. Um, or, you know, if someone's making comments around your body and congratulating you for how you look, you know, being able to say, you know, I, I appreciate the, the comment, but, you know, I, I would rather, you know, speak about something else or, you know, redirecting the conversation. You know, this is not really something I feel comfortable talking about. Uh, do you mind if we discuss something else? You know, so really trying to veer the conversation away from it. Um, and focusing on the things that that you do, you know, you do want to be complimented on. You can even say to someone, you know, I you know, I prefer if you don't mention something around my body, but if if you did want to give me other types of feedback, I'm really open. Like so having just maybe a couple of different phrases that you feel comfortable going to in those situations um, can be really useful just to know ahead of time that if something like that comes up that you have somewhere to go. Um, with the conversation. So you don't have to dive into it uh, with the other person and provide a whole bunch of details that you don't feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a great sort of response. Um, I think being able to redirect the conversation, that's always been my sort of tactical strategy um, that, you know, I think people kind of get the message when you avert the conversation onto something else um and I think um I was going to ask you and you might have more to add but I was going to ask you you know if you have had time off work um and you're coming back into the office um maybe after some time of some treatment or something um I was going to ask about how you'd navigate that conversation but I mean I guess one aspect of that could be that you kind of change the subject if it's not something that you're comfortable with um but I think most you know I guess more specifically, how would you handle that conversation with an employer in terms of your needs if if they feel that they can't be met? Um, is there, you know, is there some sort of like discrimination there that that would be, or how how does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say it's it's different in any workplace and mm-hmm. in in the the area or the region that you live in in terms of what. Legal ramifications are, but I would say you know if you do feel it goes back to your level of comfort. If you do feel comfortable disclosing, then if you know it's something that you can bring up directly. But it's also something you know if you're experiencing any challenge around mental health, you could speak to it a lot more broadly. Of you know I've been really struggling with my mental health lately. You don't have to necessarily dive into the exact Mm -hmm. specifics, but. These are some of the things that would be really helpful for me coming back to work so that I can perform my best and, you know, meet all of my expectations and obligations at work. So as I said, framing it from 
this is what I need to be successful to support you in the work that we're doing at this organization. I think that that framing is really helpful. Um, and, you know, if you, if you are taking time off, you know, letting, letting the organization that you're working with know, you know, I'm, I'm taking some time off. Do you mind if we have a conversation when I return? Um, so just kind of setting that expectation that you will be checking in when you come back, um, on what your needs will be going forward. What impact do you think that the workplace is having on eating disorders and mental health? And like, do you think they, they play a role in helping people with that? Yeah, no, I, I have been thinking a lot about the impacts of, of mental health at work, specifically around eating disorders. And one thing I came across in the last few months is some statistics that identified that eating disorders are the highest mortality rate of any mental illness, yet they are the least funded and the least, um, there's the, the, the least amount of awareness um, around what they look like and how they impact people and some of the resources that might be available if you are struggling. So, you know, as much as we're starting to have conversations around mental health at work, you know, eating disorders is a really left out piece mm. of the conversation that needs to be talked about a lot more moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a it's a strange one. I think you're completely right. Like mental health in general is definitely being spoken a lot more and sort of your well-being and, and taking time out for yourself. Um, I don't know whether it's just, I think people often struggle with talking about eating disorders in the sense of they don't want to say the wrong thing um, because of the lack of awareness. So that could potentially be something that, you know, rather than saying something and saying the wrong thing, because I think it, I, I think that maybe the assumption that you're going to trigger somebody is maybe higher than what you actually would do. Cause I think it's best to talk about it than to not talk about mm -hmm. it. Um, but I definitely think that plays into something. And I mean, this is kind of off, off topic but I guess it's it's the same sort of thing in that um the the mental health service where I live in the UK um they don't provide support for eating disorders because mm. you have to go to a specific eating disorder service for that which I get completely I think that that is the right thing to do because it does need specialist care um but they don't have any training on eating disorders and that it was what shocked me because you know even if you're going to refer somebody on it's still really important that you have that training and that awareness um, of eating disorders. Absolutely. I think that that's something across the board that we need to see more of is more training intersectionally within mm -hmm. community resources and in healthcare to make sure that even if you're not necessarily an expert in one area that you have, you know, an idea of maybe some of the warning signs or the resources that are available mm -hmm. or support strategies that you can refer someone to so that you're not just saying, you know, I don't know anything about this. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Go talk to someone else. But here are some preliminary resources that you can look to in the meantime as you seek this other support and making sure that people feel comfortable, you know, recognizing, um, the interconnection of everything that we do. If we're, if we're talking about mental health, mental health is so many different things mm. and has so many different points of intersection, even, you know, being aware of how mental health interconnects with poverty, how mental health in, interconnects with physical health, how mental health interconnects with, you know, experiences of trauma, like all of those things are not in a vacuum. They're all, um, 
all attached in some way. And so how do we make sure that the people who are providing support, even if they're providing support in a completely different area, at least have some understanding of the issues faced by the community that they're serving so that they can point them in the right direction. Mm. Otherwise people are on their own. Yeah. And then that's even more overwhelming, especially when you're already feeling in crisis and you're already dealing with something that has a lot of assumptions and stigma associated Mm. with it. You know, if someone also doesn't know that doesn't really help. So how do we build their capacity? So at least that there's something to work from as you, you know, await the connection to the resource that's ultimately going to support you in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I guess the question would be, you know, if, if somebody does start to, if somebody in a workplace does start to recognize maybe one of their colleagues or one of their employees has a change in eating behavior or a change in exercise or, you know, starts maybe talking about their body or food a bit more than, than what's normally happened. How do you think that either the colleague or the employee should sort of navigate that situation? Cause I don't think it's, it's not their responsibility to, you know, get them support. Um, but, I guess it's a bit of a tricky one. What do you think someone should do in that situation? Yeah, I think it would, you know, first of all, educate yourself so that you know, you know, that you have some potential resources to maybe offer someone if they are struggling. Um, but I would just start with observation. If you, if there's things that you've been noticing, just saying like, Hey, I've been noticing these few things. Are you okay? You know, you don't have to say, you know, I think that you might be struggling with X, but just to say, these are some of the changes that I've noticed. This, you know, this doesn't quite seem like you. Is there something going on? Are there any supports that you need? You know, do you need someone to talk to? So just creating an open space. And if somebody wants to dive into that conversation, say, yes, actually, I'm struggling with this, this, and this, then have a few resources you might be able to connect them to because don't take it on yourself. I think people are afraid to bring something up because they feel like now they're going to be responsible for the outcome, but you're not. You're, you know, you're responsible for having the conversation that you're in. And then if there's other resources that are needed, it's okay to say, thank you so much for letting me know that this is what you're struggling with. I'm probably not the best person to support you, but, you know, let's work together to find someone that can, or, you know, I've heard of this phone line that's available, or, you know, I know that our company has an employment assistance program available if you need to talk to a counselor. So just know what other resources are out there, but broaching the conversation just from a place of these are the couple of things that I've noticed. Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a brilliant response. I think just the idea of creating a space, you know, maybe recognizing it creating that space for somebody if they need it and being there um if they do need it i think a lot of the time um it can just be really difficult to say that you're struggling so actually to have somebody say is everything all right at the minute i think would make a really big difference so yeah great idea I know we spoke a bit about what Causeway do at the start, but I guess um, more specifically, you know, when supporting people with their mental health in the workplace, how how do you guys get involved with that? So it's really kind of a two two sided approach. You know, one side working with the person themselves, and then the other side working with the employer. And so when it comes to working with the person themselves around their own mental health, I think it's it starts with 
you know, our, our intake process of getting to know someone, what they need, what their goals are, what they're trying to, to look for in terms of work, what some of their challenges or their struggles might be, and then trying to match them with the right program. So we have a lot of different programs that we offer and we really try to customize where we, we navigate someone to based on the needs that they have. And once we know a little bit more about them, really being able to be curious about, you know, what, what can we do to best support them moving forward? Maybe it's they're looking for a job in community. You know, how do we identify what their their strengths and their skills and their experience looks like so that we can help match them with an opportunity that, that best, best fits that either right now, but also thinking longer term into the future. What is What are their long-term career goals and how can we support them to develop the skills that they might need along that trajectory? I think a lot of it is being able to recognize the intersectional experience that people have when it comes to work, that it's not just a person and then they go to work and then they come home and that's where their life is. Everything is interconnected. So working with people on, you know, self-care and stress management strategies when it comes to how they respond to work, even before they start a job, you know, knowing what some of the, um, what some of the challenges that they might experience are and what they can do to mitigate them once they're in the workplace. We're really focused on having community referrals. So if there are other areas where someone might be struggling in their life, maybe they don't have access to reliable housing, or maybe they don't have access to mental health care or a family physician, making sure that we have those warm contacts to other services so that we, we are make we are making that pathway for them a lot more clear so that it's not just, they're coming to us and depending on, on just our services, but they have a whole network of, of community organizations that they might work with that can support their other needs. And then on the, on the flip side with the employers, it's really working with employers to identify like which workplaces are going to be a good fit for the person, what they're looking for, what their skills are. And then, you know, creating a space where we can support them if they have any areas that they need to navigate or they have communication that they're unsure of how to have with, with a job seeker, how do we create that liaison role for us as an organization, even for a limited period of time to get them, you know, having those conversations as a team with that person. So maybe there's accommodations that they need at the workplace. Maybe there's extra training that they might need. How do we work with the employer to, to make it the most accessible, inclusive space possible for the person that's coming into that environment? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and I think, you know, you bridging that gap, I think sometimes it can be a difficult thing to sort of bring up maybe at the interview stage as well, because you're trying to be your best self. Um, and, you know, sometimes that might be difficult. But I guess um, obviously it's great that that's what you guys do. But maybe if people don't have access to your services, if, if someone listening is kind of, you know, looking for a job right now, um, but they're finding it difficult kind of with their mental health what sort of advice or like tips would you give to somebody like do you think during the interview process you have to say I am struggling with this but I'm looking for a job because I'm starting to feel a bit better about it is it something you should disclose or how would you navigate that sort of situation yeah I think it really depends on the person it's based on your level of comfort and and maybe the relationship that you have with an employer and what you feel comfortable disclosing. I think what's most important is that you know yourself and that you know where you are on your mental health journey. you know where some of the challenges that you're struggling with, and also you know what your strengths and opportunities are. 
um, I think it's having grace with yourself as well. Even just looking for a job is a really, you know, it can be an overwhelming process. There can be a lot of different factors to navigate, applying for work, interviews, all of those different things might have different steps that you need to take along the way. And so, you know, really being mindful of where your limits are, maybe setting some goals for yourself in the job search process. Um, so, you know, I'm going to apply for this many jobs today and I'm going to, you know, if I get an interview, these are some of the things that I'm going to um, research ahead of time about the organization. So really setting yourself up with a plan for the job search process. Um, but I think, you know, when it comes to to mental health around job searching specifically, you know, I think it's about really appreciating that it's going to be a journey that, you know, everyone who is going through a an employment journey is going to have different, you know, different experiences. There might be, it might be a little bit more um, non-linear than you expect. Maybe you apply for something and it doesn't feel like the right fit. Knowing, knowing yourself and knowing kind of what feels right to you and having that intuition about the different work environments that you might be applying for, I think really matters. So asking good questions of an employer. Um, so asking them, you know, if they have a an inclusion policy or an accessibility policy in their workplace, you know, what kind of work environment they, they have, what kind of work culture, how do people communicate with each other? Like asking some of those questions, I think also helps you to get some information. And then if you feel comfortable disclosing, I think it's, you know, identifying who would be the right person to talk to um, and what you would need. So are you, are you just disclosing to let someone know, or are you disclosing because there are needs that you have and have you thought ahead of time about what those needs might be? Maybe it's, you, you know, you need a four day work week, or maybe you are feel most comfortable working from home. Like those are some conversations that you can navigate and find out a little bit more about the the workplace uh, when you're looking at the job search process. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is so important. And I really liked what you said about, you know, you might apply somewhere and you might start the interview and then actually it doesn't feel like the right fit. I think that, um, in my granddad age of 25 um, is the thing that I have realized the most in that just because you get offered a job does not mean you have to take it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that takes some some learning and often, you know, you can question why am I not taking this? Um, something else I wanted to ask you, because I think this can be um, quite a common thing that um, employees especially want to explore. So if someone's had time off, um, for their mental health. Um, so maybe it's that they couldn't work or maybe they were focusing on recovery, something like that. Um, I know it's quite common for, for people when um, they might take time out of work when they're in eating disorder recovery because it can feel like a full-time job. Um, what would you recommend doing in that situation um, if maybe you don't feel comfortable putting on your CV that you had the time off for mental health reasons? Yeah, I think it's, you know, you, as I said earlier, everyone is different. Everyone feels comfortable disclosing you know, what information feels best to them. I think it's speaking to your strengths. If you did take some time off, you can say that you took some time off. You don't need to disclose necessarily why, but you can speak to how that's been rejuvenating for you or you know, how it was helpful for you to um, identify your strengths or your, very, or your, um, your values during that time. So really you know, identifying what positives you've gotten out of the time that you've taken. I think that's really helpful. I think being able to speak to your 
lived experience is something that we don't recognize often enough. I think that there's so many experiences that we go through in our life, whether it's, you know, eating disorder recovery or it's challenges around mental health that have taught us something and that, you know, has, has led us to having certain skills and abilities that are really helpful to reference. You don't need to necessarily reference the specific challenge that you were working through, but you can say, you know, based on my, my lived experiences, I've really learned that, you know, I have amazing self-awareness and, you know, I recognize my, my boundaries and are able to clearly communicate those. And, you know, I have an ability to navigate a lot of different information simultaneously, and I'm very adaptable and resourceful. So being able to pick out some of the really helpful traits that you've developed based on the experiences that you have, I think are a really, a really great way to, to integrate the experiences that you've had with recovery into your, your application for work. That's such a good thing. I've never really thought about it in that way, but I suppose the time that you might take out for your mental health is going to be all, you know, there's going to be some personal development there. So actually kind of twisting that and, and making it um, like more productive towards what you're like in your professional life as well. It sounds, yeah, that's a really good idea. Um, I mentioned there about recovery can sometimes feel like a full-time job um, and yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to explore that with you in terms of, I guess, more specifically to an eating disorder. Um, mm -hmm. But how how would you suggest having that conversation with yeah with your employer in terms mm -hmm. of the support that you might be needing, or like maybe if you don't want to take full on time out, but because recovery from an eating disorder can feel like a full time job, how would you have that conversation with your employer about what's going on? But equally, you don't necessarily want to stop work. But I think it can be quite a difficult conversation to have. And maybe there's a lot of shame and stigma associated with it. I would say first start by, you know, giving yourself grace and appreciating that it takes time to go through recovery. I think a lot of people want to rush or they feel a pressure, especially if they are working, they feel a pressure to be okay and to show up a hundred percent. But I think it's important to recognize that your mental health is essential to your function in a workplace that, you know, without you taking care of yourself, you can only give so much to other people. So being appreciative that it's okay to take the time that you need, I think that's a really helpful first step. Um, you might have to focus more of your attention on your well-being while also trying to focus at work. So trying to find some strategies that will help give you the space. Maybe it's, you know, building in every hour for five minutes, you know, doing a meditation if that's helpful to you or, you know, going for a walk around the block and, and decompressing, you know, doing some things, putting on music that, that makes you, you know, feel in the moment and present you know, doing some journaling, like, is there ways that you can build in these little habits into your day to help you support your well-being and your recovery? Um, you know, if, if you have supports available or people that you trust, like, see if there are ways that you can be supported at work. Like, maybe if, if you do feel comfortable speaking to someone, you know, in human resources or to your boss about what you're going through, are the things that can be taken off your plate so you have a little bit more time to focus on your needs? Are there coworkers that you have in your workplace that you feel comfortable talking to who might be able to, to take on little elements of the work that you're doing so you have a little bit more time for yourself? Um, 
you know, if, if there's opportunities to take time off for appointments, like find out what leave you're entitled to, if there's special leave, like some, you know, many organizations have like medical appointment leave, if you need to go to an appointment for counseling, or if you're, if you're doing any kind of, um, medical support for your recovery, finding out what kind of leave is available to you and booking it, like not feeling badly about booking time that you need and, and taking time, especially if you have it available to you. Um, you know, maybe it's working from home so you can control your environment for a little while, like seeing what the hybrid accommodations are in your workplace. Is there an opportunity to work from home so that you have the things around you that are supportive and comforting if you need to take a break and go walk your dog, that you have the ability to do that and looking at what kind of supports are available around that. Um, it also might be saying no to things. <laughs> it might be, you know, saying no to attending certain workplace events um, or being in certain spaces. You know, that's also something that can really support your recovery. Having boundaries is important. So if there's a bunch of extra things that you've been doing at work, if you can scale back on those or, or learn to put up, you know, healthier boundaries around that. So you have more free time to focus on your well-being. I think that's also a really helpful strategy of not just scaling back on things that you have to do, but also scaling back on things that you've agreed to do that you don't necessarily have to do and, and making that a priority. Yeah. I think that, um, that boundary setting is, I mean, I think that's really difficult for anybody, but, um, I know me personally, as part of my eating disorder, I'm a massive people pleaser. Um, and you know, I think in previous jobs, that's definitely been, I'd say used a little bit in terms of, oh, Hannah, you know, she's always happy to pick stuff up. So we'll, we'll give her that. And then it's almost, you get a bit of a, I found anyway, a sense of reward in that people know that you're the person that will pick it up. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think definitely setting those boundaries and being able to kind of be assertive, like nicely assertive is definitely something I've been working on in, you know, actually um, I've got quite a lot on at the moment and that's not something I feel I'll be able to pick up. I think, I think when specifically with eating disorders, whenever we think about recovery, we think about food, but actually there's mm -hmm. so many different behaviors people pleasing being one of them um that actually feed into the eating disorder but then also feed into completely different parts of your life as well um but that's definitely something that i've been working on i am mm -hmm. trying to be more assertive which maybe 50 percent of the time i am <laughs> well and that's the thing it's it's a practice right boundaries mm -hmm. are a practice and being able to be clear about what you need is something that I don't think is easy for a lot of people. But yeah, yeah like you said, people pleasing does tend to be um, a behavior that a lot of people experience, especially if you've always, always received, like you said, a, a level of reward or recognition for what you give out to other people. Mm -hmm. And um, so it can be really hard, but being able to identify what, where you're, priorities are and how what you're doing fits within those priorities, I think can be really, really helpful. Um, and, and the other thing I forgot to mention too, is seeing what kind of resources are available through your mm. workplaces. Some have employee assistance programs, like there's some have counseling that's available, um, different numbers that you can call a certain amount of uh, resources that are available to have appointments for you know a social worker or, or a psychologist. So also finding out what's available through your workplace that you can access in terms of your mental health is also really, really valuable. Though usually many workplaces will have a resource list of 
of um, supports that are available either through work or that you could access through a plan uh, that's connected to your job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend? I mean, I guess this is a bit of a difficult question to ask, but I guess, you know, some workplaces are very like, you know, if you wanted to have a five minute walk outside, that would be possible. Um, but I think some workplaces, you know, if they're busier or kind of it's very full on, I guess that can be quite difficult. So how would you suggest that people have that conversation with their employer? You know, because I think those sorts of things can be really helpful, but sometimes they might just not fit into somebody's work schedule. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's knowing, you know, what the expectations are within your workplace and, and what the culture is. I think, like you said, there are workplaces where that might be a little bit more difficult. So how could you incorporate those strategies in ways that fit into your existing schedule, I think would be the first thing to look at. So, you know, maybe it's not a five minute walk outside, but maybe it's a a, your walk to the bathroom and and back and you use that time to to think or you know it's your lunch break that you make time during your scheduled breaks to focus on your, your mental health maybe it's you do a I don't know a journaling exercise during your 15 minute break in the morning and then you know meditation in your 15 minute break in the afternoon so looking first at what's within your current schedule and then if there's more that you need from there um it would be navigating that conversation within with your your manager or with the supervisor and or even with a HR person in your workplace saying, you know, these are areas that would really benefit me to actually do my job better. And I think it's coming from that place of by being able to take that 10 minute walk once a day. If that's not something that's built into your schedule, I will be, you know, be able to show up. Um, more productively, I'll have more energy and more level of creativity to do this work. So I think instead of speaking to these are the things that I'm struggling with, and as a result, I need this support, it's also can be helpful to, th to think about it from the other way around of by getting this support, this is mm -hmm. the benefit uh, that I'll receive. And so being able to speak to that, I think can be a really good way to emphasize the benefit to the organization um, in giving you that level of support. I really like that actually I think that's probably a great way of getting people maybe to hear what you're saying a bit more in that this is what you're going to get if you allow mm -hmm. me to support myself better I think um yeah that sounds like a great approach well thank you so much um it's been so lovely to chat to you and I think such great advice that you've given um I know that this is something that I've experienced myself and it it was a really horrible thing to have to go through um I think because of the stigma and stuff. So I think this will be really helpful for people. Um, if they want to find out about more about you and Causeway, um, whereabouts can they go to find out more? Yeah, they can go to our website. So causewayworkcenter.org and it's center RE. Um, and if they want to find me, I'm on all different platforms, just Haley Heckman. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Haley. Um, thank you. Yeah, that's been brilliant to speak to you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.